We're your hosts, Lizzie Kondravi and Brooke Volkert, and welcome to the All-American Dream Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Connor Hesch, a loan officer with Bell Bank with over 16 years of experience in specializing in super specific and local lending programs, forgivable grants, down payment assistance, and other different ways to help his clients achieve financial freedom through owning real estate. And he, we could not have a better guest on the podcast today to discuss real estate investing or house hacking is specifically what we're going to talk about today. So let's dive right in. Connor, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. We can't wait. We're excited to dive right in and hear all about this topic, which is, this topic is actually very new to me. So I was excited to, I'm excited to learn from you today. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you specifically about this is because you actually like sparked my interest in it and helped with my education at the beginning. This was a few years ago before COVID hit and everything like that. And you were doing these events with Fulton Realty Mm -hmm. about showing like your walkthrough of like how you were doing it with your duplex. And you talked about your Airbnb, which isn't house hacking, but you know, your different ways of real estate investing. Yeah. And I'll be hosting another event coming up on December 7th in another uh, duplex that I'm renovating. Sweet. And is that in person or virtual? That's going to be in person, actually. Awesome. December 7th. Yep, We'll be gutting the whole house and renovating both floors. And so there'll be a lot of space for people to spread out. Nice. So we'll make sure to put that link in the show notes. So then people, if they're listening, they can see how they can attend that. So for me, what came first, the real estate, the passion for real estate or your career? Did your career lead to you investing or? Yeah, the career came first. Uh, I've been a mortgage advisor since 2005. And so it uh, took a while for me to get myself in a position where I could buy a house. Uh, I was 20 when I started as a mortgage advisor. And young then, yeah, and I thought it was going to be easy. And then the recession hit. So I tell mm. people I wrote the Titanic down and then <laughs> now I'm writing it up. Yeah. Uh, so where I was living in, in various suburbs uh, and working like maybe Savage or Woodbury, there weren't duplexes. That's actually not a super common style of architecture. It's, it's definitely more of those older, larger working class cities. And so I didn't really know what one was right away. Mm-hmm. I think now people through Facebook and blogs and this podcast are getting hip to a lot of other stuff sooner, quicker, but it wasn't until midway through my career did I even learn what a duplex was. So yeah, yeah. definitely career first and investing second. I didn't have anything to invest when I started out. Oh you know? well, yeah. Oh, right. I mean, the market was quite different then. Yep. Yeah. So like what made you ready then? Cause like you said, you didn't have anything to invest. Did you just hustle, save up or? Yeah. Like what was the piece that like all of a sudden you made you dive in and being like, this is what I want to start doing. Well, it was definitely always a goal since I work in that industry. But if I'm being honest, I was broke. Student loans, credit card debt, um, you know, car payment, wanting to get ahead. And I was sort of working side jobs, nights and weekends. I think now they have a term for it called the side hustle. Yeah. (laughs) So when Lyft first said, fine, you don't have to have the big pink furry mustache on your bumper. I signed up to be a Lyft driver. So this is in addition to working my corporate job and doing this stuff on nights and weekends to get myself in a position where I could do this. But no, I didn't have a bunch saved up. I used down payment assistance to get my first place. So the duplex was part of me getting ahead, part of me creating financial stability in my life. 
um, and passive income. It it uh, it wasn't the it wasn't the destination. It was part of the journey. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Because if you wait until you're, you know, financially fully ready for your 20% down payment on the duplex, then, I mean, you're going to be waiting until you're probably going to be. <laughs> a lot of people would still be waiting. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that brings kind of me to my next question, because I think of that actually a lot of people think that that may need to be the case. So what is the, 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 the ideal <laughs> client? Uh, I would say the ideal client is anyone who wants to get ahead. Um, you know, for me, I wasn't super savvy in stocks. I didn't even know what crypto was. And so real estate felt like something very tangible, something I could touch, feel, control. And a lot of actors and actresses buy duplexes and rental properties, actually, um, because they do loans in other states as well. And a lot of them do that because if everything fails, you can at least sleep there. Yes. So for me, it felt like a, a, a safe way to start investing with without having to become an expert in everything and investing in a company that I couldn't control. So not to mention... A lot of the tax trickery and legal strategies that you can apply when owning real estate. So that's that's part of the reason why it, that attracted me more than other things. So when you say you know like tax trickery and stuff like that, um, why did you? And I didn't even prepare you for this question, so <laughs> we might have to edit it out. You might be totally left swing. Um, but why not flipping? Or do you flip? Uh, you know, I've never flipped. I'm debating my, on, on my latest duplex project, I am debating maybe a flip. Um, you know, it depends on the rental market. But uh, yeah, I've never flipped. I've never flipped. I think you need to do much more hands-on. You can't have a day job and flip. Flipping is about sort of minimal investment and minimal time for maximum return. Mm -hmm. Well, me sort of working on it a little bit, nights and weekends here or there, that's going to be a long flip. And now your carrying costs are longer. Also, a lot of mortgage programs don't encourage a flip. Lenders have to pay um, a EP penalty or an early payoff or a clawback. So lenders have to pay their commission back if somebody resells a house in under six months. So a lot of traditional mortgages aren't really designed for flippers. Flippers need to have commercial loans or hard money loans or private money. Well, that wasn't an arena I was ready to play in. When I got my first duplex, I think I had $2,000 in my savings. I found an old impact program, so I got $5,000 of down payment assistance, and I was able to squeeze together $7,500 for my down payment. Only two grand out of my checking, though. And I think I had $2,100 in my checking at the time. So that had to work. That's how I was able to start out. So flipping a home would be, A, I wouldn't, I don't think I've been able to pull it off. Um, also, what did I know about stuff and fixing stuff. And did I have a million plumbers and contractors in my cell phone yet? No. So flipping is definitely glamorized, I think, on the HDTV, but it wasn't a journey I was ready. Maybe with proper mentorship or or if I knew more buddies in the trades, maybe I could have, you know, gone after yeah. that. But, you know, it was nice to do the duplex for my first go. Uh, and now there's even more money for down payment being given out. Minneapolis has got a program giving out $10,000. Wow. There's still a little bit of lift funds giving out $15,000 in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And then people always forget the state of Minnesota is giving out eleven grand or 17000 in all cities. So, you know, if you know which rocks to look under, there's lots of free money laying around. And that's kind of how you've really grown in your business. And I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like I've seen you. Because, I mean, even just last month, you sold, what, nine multifamily homes? Yep, yep. Nine of the loans we did for, like, I think 20 that month were 
happen to be duplexes. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So are you, would you say a lot of the clients that you're working with, you're utilizing these programs? Absolutely. I mean, it, it spans the gamut. You know, I have everything from clients buying their lake homes, cabins, out-of-state properties, Airbnbs in Arizona, Florida, uh, and first-time home buyers. And, you know, some loan officers might want to shy away from that and, and just chase doctors around the lake, and that's fine. But I came from that. Like, I am a success story for that. So uh, it's very easy, very natural for me to to do those programs. And I still have a passion for it. So... Yeah. I mean, I, I can see it too, because you do these events and like you're very hands-on and I think it's great to see, especially when you're working with somebody, somebody who's done it before. There's nothing worse than like, if you call up your agent or loan officer and they, they don't, they've never done it before. So how can they, you know what I mean? Like necessarily be able to walk you through the process as well as somebody who has. Yeah. There's not exactly a map. So you definitely kind of need a guide to shepherd you through the forest. And, and if neither party knows what they're doing, it's going to be a lot of uh, oopsie or overlooked or you know, I often hear people say, ah, like what? I had to put 15% down. I didn't know there was that 5% down duplex program. I thought it was just 15% down when guidelines change. So yeah, it, it helps if you have a nerd. <laughs> so a nerd, but not a tradesman, like you were saying earlier. Um, so or that, both, man, well, ideally both. If you can have a nerd and a tradesperson in your phone, yeah. um, you know, white collar, blue collar, you need both. Totally. Yeah. So going back to that and how, why you didn't do the flip, you know, or why you're not currently doing flips is kind of like, because it takes time and it's risky, right? Like, I feel like it's scary. You know, am I going to get what I, especially if you use like a hard money lender, am I going to be able to get the amount of money that I say I'm going to be able to get for this person? As yes. soon as you say, as soon as you can get it, because uh, my buddy, Jory, who taught me a lot about duplexes and multifamily, uh, he told me you're never going to have a project that finishes early and under budget. Everything's going to take longer than you think and cost more than you think. Oh, always. And I was like, nah, I'm going to be the one to figure it out. <laughs> and I still think that, but, you know, it is good to be cautious, especially if you don't have a lot of reserves and not a lot of safety net. So how do you mitigate that risk? Um, well, I would say mitigating risk, I would say more like embracing it. Embracing the risk um, and, and maybe... Maybe a lot of things in my life have led me towards that, but you've got a lot of experts, a lot of free experts, okay? So now there's blogs, there's forums, there's bigger pockets, yes. there's yeah. millennial investor group, um, there's real estate teams that just specialize in duplexes. And and many realtors now, that they own duplexes as well. So a lot of our mutual friends even we're talking about here. So you can get a lot of experts on your side, and then you can find people that... Um, are just willing to network and share ideas and would be happy to mentor someone. I think a lot of times you don't ask because you think, oh, who would do that? There's lots of people. I mean, I love when it when people listen to me talk. I <laughs> happily mentor someone so and maybe save somebody some of the errors I've made. So I think you're going to have risk in everything you do. There's risk in crypto. There's risk in stocks. There's risk in putting it in your checking account or savings, not getting much interest, and hoping inflation doesn't eat up your dollars. So I think there's risk everywhere. I think you shouldn't take risk that you're not comfortable with. But at some point, you got to get ahead. And so risk is different for everyone, too, because some of my clients are buying eh, one or two properties. They want to subsidize their lifestyle a little bit, maybe travel more. Maybe they want to have four or five duplexes so they can guarantee to have retirement if there isn't Social Security later, which I believe there will be. And then some of my clients hate their boss, 
want to change their career, don't like their job, feel very stuck, and they're trying to get to as many properties as they can to then quit their job and live off the rent money what and do just you... be professional landlords. So everyone's got a different goal and therefore I would say a different level of risk they're going to tolerate. On that, what do you think the timeline of that in order to make that dream happen? Well, I can tell you the timeline is definitely year by year. So when lenders give you a mortgage, whether it's a cabin or a single family house or a duplex, whatever it is, there's always a 12-month clause in the fine print. If you're claiming it's a primary residence, at least, the lenders expect you to live there 12 months. It doesn't work when you come back to us and two months later say, oh, I need a new primary. Yeah. <laughs> and we say, well, where is it or why? And you say, oh, closer to work. It's closer to work. And it's across the street from my first duplex. You know, that doesn't yes. quite work. So um, usually clients are chatting with me at the 11-month mark, making sure they have their finances in a row. And then they're getting ready after month 12, so we're compliant, so we're not going to jail, to sort of buy property number two. Now, you can buy as many properties as you want if it's investment. If you're claiming you're not going to live there, buy as many as you want, five in a year, that's fine. But the investment is more money down. So a lot of clients are trying to get away with primary residence hopping. Mm -hmm. And earlier you know, in the hall, we were kind of talking about who's, who's right for this. Well... It definitely helps if you don't maybe have kids yet or if you have a spouse who's committed to the same goal because not all my clients who are older can do this sort of primary oh residence gosh. hopping. You know, they need a certain school district or they need a certain amount mm -hmm. of bedrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, not all duplexes have four bedrooms or three. So with kids or the work from home culture, it's hard. You know, as a single person, when I got my first place, it was easier for me to squeeze into, you know, a two-bedroom duplex near a busy street. Um, so, so your timeline can take year by year or it could happen quickly because um, a lot of times what I do is I show people how to leverage one property for the next, sort of taking out home equity lines of credit, executive lines, commercial lines, things to tap into your gained equity and use it for down payment on number two. So I used $2,000 of my checking for my first duplex and zero of my checking for duplex number two. And you can kind of rinse and repeat. Uh, so there is ways that you can maybe speed that up but it depends on your job, maybe your spouse or business partner. Uh, are you getting promotions? Are you over improving the places like I love to do? Oh, me too. <laughs> you know, some clients are saving every penny for duplex number two, ready for the down payment. And I'm over here being like, well, let's change out those countertops. Oh, yeah. You got to mm -hmm. be careful. Some things don't bring you that, that increased rent that you think they'll bring you. So... That's a very long-winded answer. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> no. but you know it could take several years. It could take less years. Um, one of my clients retired after the purchase of his fourth duplex. I think he officially retired on the purchase of his fifth duplex. Now, when you have mortgages on the properties, you're not getting as much cash flow. Eventually, though, those loans will be paid off and he'll have more right. cash flow. Right. But he always wears a black T-shirt. He still has that old Subaru. He does not dress up. He does not spoil himself. So he can actually retire because he doesn't buy pocket squares and sport coats, <laughs> um, which is hard for me. Yeah. So, Or the granite countertops for his rental or, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. So um, it depends how frugal you are to hit that sort of number of doors, as they say. And I don't know if a financial planner is going to give that advice. I know a lot of great financial planners, but they're usually trained and educated on assets they can manage. They're not really trained in the real estate world. 
And so I also try to shy away from financial planners that will poo-poo real estate because for, for me, the middle class and sort of every average Joe and Jane in the U.S., that is their biggest asset class. That is their biggest asset group. Um, my property is worth way more than what I have in a 401k, and I've had that for a while. So real estate is powerful if you can mitigate risk, if you can find some nerds and some tradespeople on your side, and, and if you believe in yourself and you go uh, I would say slowly. Go slowly and be careful when, when somebody wants to sell you something. I mean, Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> it really does. And, and, and relationships are currency and relationships are powerful. Because when you need favors from certain people, when you need mentorship or education, I would say relationships got me further along than I thought I was going to get. Um, and, and so those will really, really be important. I think sometimes people are pushy and they don't, they don't value the relationship. They're just going so hard to get to their goal, mm-hmm. and they're they're not making allies along the way. I've worked with clients maybe on their first duplex, and then a different loan person worked them on their second, and then I, we talked about it. I was like, yeah, that's a better deal. Take that one. And then I worked with him uh, again on his uh, third and fourth. So, you know, we have a little ecosystem here in the Twin Cities, and there's a lot of good loan people, you know, um, not just me. And and so there's a lot of good players, and you gotta you got to play nice in the sandbox, I think. Oh, totally. You can't burn a bridge. Especially in this industry. Yeah. It's like the smallest, largest industry. Or like they even say Minneapolis is like the smallest big city. Yeah. Because yeah. like you can't walk down the street or sometimes, you know, sitting in a coffee shop in North Loop without knowing somebody, it feels like. Um, so I feel like personally, because I'm kind of going through this, this is kind of a selfish question for me. But if you're like right now, I have a condo and then I have a townhome, but that's like exhausted my resources for my down payment and over improvements. I did not need to put black handles on all of my interior doors. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but I did that too. Yeah. And that monochromatic Instagram look. But it's be- yeah, it's beautiful. So it's like that third, that third property, right? We're talking about, it's like kind of a hard jump. So you're saying if I'm a real estate agent listening to this, like how do I prepare my client for like that third one? When am I talking to you, Connor? You know, I would say 11 months. Well, yeah, 11 months. He said 11, <laughs> 11 months, months, but like from the last the, purchase. Yeah. Somebody's listening. Well, no, I'm listening. But like if you're if you, you're I'm saying been, like how to pre- get like how can someone prepare you to be like, I want to take that next step on the on your third property. Like, yeah. What do you need to do to yeah. prepare? Like, realistically, I should have started talking to you as soon as I closed on my second property to be prepared for the 11th month. But instead, I've been like blind buying black handles on Amazon. <laughs> that's all right, though. You got to live in the now, too. Ex- yeah. Right? Um, that's the nice thing about real estate. I think we get enjoyment along the way. We get to have a little house party and have our friends and family over. Absolutely. Uh, See the feel, the tangi- tangibility. Yeah. Of, like all the hard yeah. work you put in. I mean. Right. And that's going to pay off in the long run, right? Because some people say uh, they may over improve their property now to sort of make it recession proof. So when, when if, if a recession were to hit, your place is nicer than the other rentals. You can still get somewhat closer to buy a better, higher market. And then other clients of mine say, no, that's silly. You should only fix up your property during downtimes. So downtimes, there's lots of labor. There's plenty of sheetrock guys looking for side work, plumbers looking for cash jobs. In the peak right now, labor's expensive and there's a yes. shortage. Oh, yeah. yes. So one of my clients has like 36 duplexes and he tries to only fix them up during downtimes. So there's a lot of different strategies there. So don't feel bad that you're buying those black handles because I did too. <laughs> um, but the 
the preparation I would say for clients out there, you know, talk to a loan person early and, and just so that doesn't sound cliche, call these loan people. And when you do, let them know you just want to have a quick talk. You're not asking for a promise or anything. Loan people are busy right now and they're stressed out. And so when you call them saying, I'm going to buy a house maybe in a year. So none of this will come to fruition for 12 more months, but give me all of your effort and make me promises. You know, it's kind of like somebody asking you to marry them, even though the first date hasn't begun. Right. This is a phone call is hello. Uh, oh, yes, yes, we can talk. So if the person were to preface it to me as a talk and giving them like sort of a loose roadmap, a guideline, well, that's very easy just from hearing what they have going. It's when they want sort of exact answers and they want it now. Loan people get nervous of giving exact answers unless we can deliver. And so then mm-hmm. they might say, well, you need to apply online. Well, she shouldn't apply online. She just bought a place. We want to minimize the amount of times her credit is pulled. Oh, yes. yeah. And and <laughs> an educated loan officer who's experienced and one who's savvy, again, doesn't have to be me, shouldn't need all of her life's, like, all of her details and all of her social and all of her... My, expre- my express credit card balance. Right. They shouldn't need everything. <laughs> Just to give them a roadmap. Um, That's what I think. But I've also done it. I'm doing this for myself personally and buying duplexes personally. So I'm kind of walking the talk, as they say. So maybe that's why I find it easy. But I think a professional should be able to do it. Well, and what a great way to educate your clients because you've been through this before and like multiple times. So then when it like challenges come up, you're able to... I don't know if you're the nerd or not, but to be able to help them yeah, out and guide yeah, them in I this am. situation. Well, and, and one thing that you can do is is timing. So uh, you want to get a home equity line of credit or some sort of line of credit on the property. It's much easier to get them if you still live there as a primary. So before I move out of any property, I get a line of credit. Even if it's at a zero balance, I'm not paying anything. There's no interest. There's no annual fee on most of them around here. And so... It's harder to get it if you're not, there's, there's fewer choices to get one if it's in a pure investment property. It's very easy to get one as a primary. And then you are allowed to use that to buy another property. So that's how you can leverage one for the other. Now, in theory, the bank gets notified when I move out, right? The change of the homestead tax. In theory, banks could shut that off saying, hey, wait a minute, we gave that to you as a primary residence and you mm-hmm. no longer sleep there. So that's different than the terms you applied with. So we're, we're canceling this line of credit. But none of mine have. So I can still access the equity in my first duplex, even though I don't live there anymore. And I think what it is, is when, when the market's up and banks are flush, when people make their payments on time, banks kind of leave you alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this line of credit that I have is not with my current employer. So, you know, if they're listening. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, that's where that's where some of the maybe the planning and the sort of niche creative stuff could work if you're talking to somebody who's a nerd for it versus just any person. But there's lots of good mortgage people out there. A lot of the bad ones are gone because a lot of the laws changed in yes. 2012. Yeah. So a lot of the greasy guys are out. Yep. Thankfully. So I'm hearing a few opportunities to kind of make mistakes here, you know, along the way, whether that's like timing, not necessarily mistakes, but like ways you can be more creative. Connor, can you share with us some of your little mistakes that you've made along the way that you kind of wish that like some challenges? Sure. sure absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Happy well, accidents. Is that what Bob Ross says? Yeah, yeah. There you go. That is that is true. <laughs> All right. Well, first mistake is um, 
I think uh, if you're practical, you can fall into this trap very often. You're buying a duplex, and if you're if you're looking to maximize rent, you're typically if it's vacant or a lease is ending, you're going to try to move into the crappier unit first. You're going to move into that that one that needs love, and mm-hmm. you're going to start fixing it up. Um, you know, now I'm kind of at a point where I'll just leave it empty and do the work. Whereas before, when you're moving in, when it's primary, I am living in the construction zone. You're living in the space. Yeah. So, so you're living in it, you're fixing it up. And why are you doing it? You're doing it solely so as soon as you get that crappier unit up to speed so you can sort of charge better market rents, then you're going to move downstairs into the nicer unit, right? Well, the tax person, when I turned in all my receipts and told him what I was doing, he's like, yeah. Uh, those are no write-offs because you need to think of your duplex, even though, yes, it's an investment property and you're thinking down the road a bit. When you're doing your taxes as an owner-occupant, the half that you're renting is your business. That's the rental business. The half you're living in is considered your single family for the purposes of taxes. I mean, tax it purposes. makes sense when you say it. Yeah. 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 So I'm not encouraging tax fraud. Uh, <laughs> That's good. The receipts maybe were for the lower unit is what I should have done. Somebody, you know, friend laughed at me and I told him, well, dang it, my tax guy should have said that. And he goes, wait, you, you expected your tax guy to help you commit tax fraud? <laughs> like, so, so expect different things from different people. But, you know, if timing's at all possible, right, if you, if you can be friendly with the tenants or if you're upgrading their space or if you're just not going to sleep in that unit, maybe, bite that bullet, fix up the one, try to fix up the one you're not living in. So then all my write-offs, that's the key, is never fix up the unit you're sleeping in while you're sleeping in it, because then you're going to lose some write-offs. Exterior work, like redoing that sidewalk that wasn't draining correctly or fixing the fence, you're going to get 50% of your write-off there, because it's technically all parties' benefit. So I'll take 50% over nothing, though. Yeah. Yeah, so so those tax write-offs are going to help you knock that income down because you, you're, you're buying rental property to increase your wealth, not just pay more taxes. And the IRS is going to let you depreciate the building over a 27-year depreciation schedule. So while it's going up in value, which we hope, mm-hmm. while it's going up in value, you're actually showing it's depreciating. So um, I did all the work in the unit I was living in because I was intending to move out. And then my tax guy was like, yeah, the, that none of those are right off. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably the first time I was really like, wait, I'm not the smartest guy in the room? You know, that was like, that one knocked my ego down a few pegs. Um, I'm that, currently thinking about the manila envelope I have full of um, Menard's receipts in my drawer right now of the house. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I think that was for your other my property, other property. Right? Your first one? Yeah. The rental? It yeah. looks beautiful. The first one looks be- so beautiful. Yeah. Black, the black handles in there are just in the first one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can you share some advice that you would have given to your younger self besides the tax thing? Because that was great advice. You know, I was fortunate to have a couple mentors in the real estate industry and people that had done it before. So they showed me the way that was really fortunate. Um, you know, I don't really come from a sort of money and an investing background. My, my parents worked hard to get me into a, a better school system sort of thing, in their opinion. Um, but my mom's a teacher. My dad's an anger management teacher. So I didn't really come from that world, per se. But I had a lot of good mentors. I think people... But still, I think I should have um, watched more YouTube videos, to be honest. I think there's YouTube videos about everything. Uh, and it's scary, but and true. You can... You know, definitely do your own tile work. Um, 
maybe don't learn, maybe don't do your own electrical work uh, if it's serious stuff. Yeah. But maybe even watch YouTube videos and about how to deal with contractors and how to deal with, um, you know, the contractor subs and so on. There's so many times where I didn't know the risks of what they could do or they, I just assumed the way they were going to install something is the only way. And then later I learned, wait a minute, there's two ways to do it. And this way is definitely the better way or making sure that you prep your job site. You should lay down builder paper. You should tape paper over your walls. You should prep your job site. Some of these crews will just go in and create almost more damage than they're fixing. Mm -hmm. And then they lead you to believe that's normal. And then you're like, yeah, okay. Um, Maybe, was it? I didn't take the pictures. Just, yeah. yeah. Like. So, so prep it, take pride in it, and um, ask for referrals and and. I think the network, the, the ecosystem out here in the Twin Cities now is way different than when I got started. So I think I think there's a lot more helpful people out there, and, and it's going to be easier for those that want to get into it. Um, so can anyone house hack? Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is if you're going to live in it, you know, you can put way more money down and buy it as a rental, but you need to live in it if you want to get away with less money down. And a lot of those programs, you don't have to be a first-time home buyer to get away with less down. I guess this goes back to the whole of what your lifestyle is like, right? In case yeah. of like moving or your spouse or if you have children or yep. whatnot. And it's got to pass the uh, sniff test um, because I have... The sniff know, test? Well, What's the sniff I, test? I, that's right. I'm on a podcast. Uh, I don't know if that's too uh, <laughs> colorful of a reference, but um, you know, it, it's got to pass an underwriter's approval. So this isn't just like, oh, you're going to live there? Wink, wink. Cool. Um, we care very much about that. So lenders will go down with the ship. Uh, people don't realize that. So the government will say that we didn't do our due diligence to make sure you're treating it as a primary residence. Again, you only got to live there 12 months. And legally, you have 60 days to move in. So when you have a client who has a three-car garage house in Maple Grove with four kids, and he says, yeah, I am going to move into that little duplex next to the U of M, I'm like, "Yeah, are you, are you Chad? Yeah. So, you know, it's... You, you gotta. I love that his name was Chad too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got to. You've got to uh, make sure. So for anyone can do it, but you really have to do it. Um, and then my second duplex uh, that I got, and Bridget, my girlfriend, wasn't really as psyched on the second one. So our plan was, but it was such a good deal. So we had to do it. it made sense. I saw the long term value, and that's actually the event that I held, and I think we. That's where I oh, first yeah. met you, Brooke, when we were doing the remodeling of the upper and yeah. lower. So, and you live downstairs. Yeah. With your map wallpaper. That's right. That's right. What yeah. a memory. It's been on the news. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty cool little wallpaper oh, yeah. office nook I created because uh, I wanted to be an architect and then uh, didn't end up being an architect. But So it's like blueprints of houses. Um, but anyways, the, the plan was, hey, let's just live here 12 months so we can't go to jail. And let's move back. And we don't want to like rent out our spot and then just 11 and a half months later kick out a family or say, sorry, mm -hmm. we're not renewing your lease. Mm -hmm. So that's what led us to Airbnb. So then we started doing Airbnb in the lower level and um, renting out the upper level on a lease. And the best part is when you're doing an Airbnb, people don't use the garage. So then we started renting out the garage to people with boats or motorcycles yes. or classic cars. Um, because if you look up the laws in your city, you can't even leave like a little dinky fishing boat on the street for just one night. Mm -hmm. So that became then another revenue center. So people can look for revenue centers in their home in, in more ways. Now there's even an app called Stow It. So it's like a Lyft or Uber of storing people's oh, junk. Wow. 
Yeah. So you could use that. Um, I was just asking friends of friends and even little, little local car dealerships. Some guy bought a little convertible and wanted to keep his old Honda in my garage in the summer. I said, sure. So um, there's a lot of things you can do there. And um, I would just be cautious. I have rented the Airbnb at one point to traveling nurses. and I think I'm on a tangent now, but I just assumed they knew each other. But they didn't. They like met the week before on the nurse blog. So it was like MTV real world. A bunch of nurses that don't know each other, living, fighting, arguing, and then coming to me to be the mediator of the arguments. Like, whose turn is it to wash the dishes? And like, why didn't they return my car? So uh, I didn't write a a book about that. Judge on that one. Oh my gosh! So not everything that glitters is gold. And ask around. Uh, You know, even I'm guilty of being like, yeah, I heard that traveling nurse thing is cool. Let's do it. Um, So maybe I didn't do my due diligence there. But life is a learning process. So and and I came out fine. Very well said. And I think I hear a part two in the podcast about Airbnb short term rentals. I mean, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's a great revenue stream, too. And I like how you've, like, when I went to your event, how you do the math is really interesting as well. Well, Connor, thank you. Yeah, I learned so much today. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is great.